Welcome to PSQH the podcast. I'm your host Jay Kumar, editor-in-chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talk to Dr. Charles Lee, Senior Director of Clinical Knowledge for First Data Bank, about the cost of medication non-adherence and how to address it. This episode is presented as part of Healthcare Risk Management Week in partnership with SII Global. And now, on to the interview. Hello, this is Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH, and I'm joined today by Dr. Chuck Lee, Senior Director of Clinical Knowledge for First Data Bank. Welcome, Chuck. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, and so I guess to, you're, we're going to talk about med- medication adherence today, but uh, to start off, I wanted you to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with uh, First Data Bank. Uh, so I'm an internal medicine physician by training. Um, I became interested in this particular topic because of my um, immigrant background. Uh, I'm a first-generation Korean immigrant, and um, I had some difficulty growing up with the English language. And as I was practicing medicine, it became obvious that a lot of our patients had difficulty communicating um, certain information about their knowledge and and what they need to do around medications. Um, So I became very interested in this topic and and First Data Bank is uh, one of the leading providers of uh, clinical and prescriptive drug knowledge that's integrated into uh, EHR systems and pharmacy management systems. Um, So things like dosing, drug interaction, and consumer medication handouts. So the, the reason I participated in the First Data Bank is, got involved with First Data Bank is that there's a lot of consumer-driven content that we can provide to improve medication adherence, and, and that's kind of the background. Great. Um, and I guess, you know, can you sort of go over just sort of the scope of the issue? How big of an issue is medication adherence? So medication adherence, the, the, re- the reason why this is particularly important is because medication adherence is one of those things that is preventable, um, unlike, you know, car accidents or other things uh, that is sort of out of, out of control. And the scope of this is that, you know, one out of every six ED visits is related to uh, a medication uh, adverse drug effect. And they estimate that the uh, overall cost efficiency that we can save is is over a hundred billion dollars a year. Wow! So you know, you know, there are a lot of things that we can do and a lot of things that we can't do. But this is one of the benefits of of things that are related to you know patient um, driven uh, activities like adherence uh, that we can actually focus on and actually have an impact. And how did COVID nineteen affect medication adherence? Oh, so COVID-19, so um, there's a lot of challenges with basically having, you know, risk factors for COVID. So, you know, there's the you know, hypertension, uh, obesity. So these risk factors that need to be treated um, is, is obviously important. So when patients do not adhere to the medicine and do not benefit from um, the you know the medications uh, addressing their you know high blood pressure and obesity and diabetes uh, that that obviously can have a greater impact on you know death due to COVID. The other challenge was related to uh, patients being able to become mobile, uh, being able to pick up medicines, going to their pharmacies, talking to their doctors, making their regular visits, uh, which uh, sometimes got delayed. Um, so. COVID obviously had an impact and actually um, enhanced the uh, side effects or the bad outcomes of, of non-adherence. Uh, 
Chuck, I wanted to uh, ask you about uh, the survey done by the National Community Pharmacists Association about uh, medication yeah. adherence. So that survey was done in, I believe, 2013. And it looked at what patients were doing. And it looked, I think they were like over a thousand patients and they were averaging greater than 40 years of age, I believe. And what they found is that um, over three-fourths or 76 percent um, had some issues with medication adherence. And, and so that kind of gets us to, you know, what is medication non-adherence? Um, and that is uh, failure to pick up or uh, refill their medications on time, uh, missing a dose, um, taking a dose that is uh, higher or lower than what was prescribed, um, stopping a medication early. Maybe they felt better and didn't think that they needed to continue it. Um, sometimes they would take older medicines that um, uh, that they had laying around for uh, a different problem than they were prescribed for. Um, sometimes they would take somebody else's medicine or uh, forget the, whether they had taken the medicine. You know, so obviously, as you grow older and you are on polypharmacy, and, and some, some of these patients are on 10 or more medicines. So, so they found that of those things that I just described, 76% of the survey uh, participants described uh, having one or more of those. And out of all the ones that I just stated, forgetfulness was uh, the most common reason for non-adherence, um, and that was uh, represented by 42% of the uh, respondents. Um, and, and, you know, I, I get, you know, you mentioned sort of, obviously this was done in 2013. I mean, I, I imagine that the, you know, the results, if there was done, if there was a survey done in 2020, it may have been a lot even, even more, you know, uh, uh, striking in terms of non-adherence. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Um, and I think, you know, there are some things that we've done as a healthcare system in the short term, um, you know, making sure that we have better health insurance. Uh, now, some of the other factors that didn't get into this is, you know, the financial uh, ability to pay for coverage. And as more patients became, you know, covered by, you know, medication insurance or insurance prescription medicine, uh, insurance, um, you know, we would hope that some of these things got better, but like you said, I, I really do doubt it, um, especially with COVID, like we discussed earlier. Uh, so what are some ways to, I guess, improve adherence um, that, you, that you can recommend? Okay, so I'd like to, you know, break this down into things that we can actually solve. So, you know, things that are preventable and taking this in a segmented approach. And, and the best way that I'd like to visualize this is, is uh, related to uh, what's called health literacy. So health literacy is the patient's ability to do basically three things. One is, you know, can they go and find or acquire information? So to give you an example, if, if somebody was looking for you know, drugs for cancer and they got, you know, two million hits, uh, are they able to differentiate uh, credible information from non-credible information. So that's number one. Number two is once they find that information, can they um, read and understand what that means? And then number three, once they read and understand, could they apply that information to things they need they need to do for themselves? So can they take action? So that's the three premise of you know gathering, understanding, and then acting. So 
one of the challenges is that the more medicines that the patient is on, it becomes really difficult for them to follow even um, instructions that are that are fairly clear. So one of the things that uh, has been described in the literature is that the the more dosing times that patients have, the more likely that they are to become non-adherent. So if you have medicines all once a day, they're more likely to be adherent than if they're given medicines, you know, eight times a day. So eight times a day means that there's more likelihood or more opportunity for them to miss a dose. So get the, so that gets to the you know that forgetfulness that was described in the uh, the NCPA survey. Um, so if we can make information clearer, um, then obviously the patient are, are more likely to, to adhere to the uh, to, to the medication instructions and become more adherent. Um, one of the other things that we've uh, discovered is that we really don't want patients to do uh, math. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you're given uh, a prescription for a milligram for liquid medicine, and then the, the parent has to figure out what does that mean based on this, you know, liquid concentration um, in terms of milliliters and you know, if they get that math wrong by one decimal point, you're talking about a factor of 10. Right. So, you know, making sure that it's clear and understandable um, in, in a things, in something that they can actually measure. Um, and you don't want to give something that's, you know, a hundredth of a milliliter. Uh, I've also seen some of those kind of doses. Um, and the other thing that we can do is to review uh, medications that the patient is taking. So because a lot of these patients are uh, are seeing multiple providers in many cases, and uh, their primary care doctor and their specialist, having one person, um, primarily the pharmacist, review all the medication. And this concept is called uh, medication reconciliation, where they can actually look at all the different drugs and then see if there are potential interactions or uh, potential um, opportunities to go from like, you know, twice a day or four times a day to once a day, um, that we can actually cl uh, clean up a lot of this medicines um, over time. And, and other things that we can also do is that, you know, if they are transitioning from, you know, inpatient to outpatient, uh, making sure that the patient has medications before they leave the hospital, um, and, and this has become a really popular uh, for a lot of, uh, you know, inpatient pharmacies to be able to provide these types of services. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is to, uh, is an opportunity to reduce the number of pharmacy visits by this thing called medication synchronization, where, you know, instead of going there, you know, once every two weeks for multiple medicines, they may synchronize it once a month or once every three months. Uh, if they can get a 90-day supply for all their medicines. So I think a lot of these things in combination uh, can improve the availability of the medicine, uh, reduce the forgetfulness uh, you know, to, to refill the medicine, uh, and making sure that if we're giving them clear instructions with clear dosing, um, that we can reduce some of these uh, dosing errors and, and making sure that they're only taking the medications that they were prescribed. Um, and, you know, get, getting back to medication reconciliation, um, do you feel that enough is being done in that regard? I mean, in terms of coordinating, you know, among multiple prescribers, 
you know, how many times a day a person is taking medication. Cause, cause, you know, I have an elderly mother who, you know, is easily confused by this stuff. And, yeah. you know, I think it would definitely help if, you know, some of these folks, um, talked and sort of figured out, you know, well, let's, this is the optimal time to, you know, have the person take this medication. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, part of this is recognizing that this is an important service and it's worth paying healthcare professionals to do this on a more regular basis. Um, I, and I think, you know, one of the barriers, uh, you know, many years ago was that a lot of the pharmacies, pharmacists that were doing this weren't getting paid. They were just doing it out of their own goodwill for their, uh, you know, um, routine customers. Um, so I think, you know, having this in more systemically uh, in place um, to me makes a lot of sense. And, and as you said, that lack of communication, not just from the, you know, the, the professional side to professionals, but from the consumer to the professionals, um, you know, if we had better technology to monitor um, and to uh, communicate, um, develop algorithms to, you know, kind of survey patients over time, you know, how are you doing? And then be able to, um, you know, look at their medications and be alerted to potential opportunities for intervention. So, you know, whether it's uh, some kind of a risk, uh, you know, risk algorithm to identify patients at risk and to be able to then direct them to, you know, case managers or pharmacists. So, so you know, like you said, there's a challenge in terms of we have limited resources in our healthcare system and how can we identify those individual at the highest risk uh, who can benefit from these types of interventions and making sure that the ones doing those interventions um, have, have a method in, uh, in place to get compensated for those services. Are those things starting to happen or is that still sort of a, you know, is it still sort of an idea right now that, or a goal for down yeah, the road? Actually, yeah, actually uh, this came into play, uh, you know, CMS has uh, some innovation programs and one of them was this concept of a uh, medication therapy management. Uh, but the challenge there is that you have to meet certain criteria. You have to have a certain um, type of diseases and be on a certain number of meds. And I think the you only had two opportunities for intervention um, per year. So being able to scale this up beyond that um, is, I think, uh, would be very beneficial. Now that said, you know, we're not talking about somebody who is on one or two meds, but somebody who may be, you know, on antidepressants and on uh, antihypertensives um, beyond just the ones that, you know, CMS is willing to pay for. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think part of this may benefit from, you know, as we get more health payers interested in, um, you know, keeping people healthy and recognizing that this is an important part of that, um, I think would be, you know, the, the right way to go because then you have a payer who's willing to pay and it actually benefits the individual memberships, uh, members uh, who they serve. Um, and, you know, getting back to just medication adherence in general, um, is enough being done for patients whose first language isn't English? I know you have a special interest in that, but, you know, it seems yeah. like, you know, there's a lot of confusion can, can, you know, really come up there um, with folks. Who, yeah, you know, yeah. There, there is a lot of confusion, and, and again, this gets to you know who's going to pay for those services. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, in I believe it was like two 
2009, um, you know, we, I talked to several folks in New York State at the time, and there was several uh, civil rights complaint that a lot of these uh, pharmacy chains, because, you know, New York City has a large uh, immigrant population, mm -hmm. and I think they're limited English population. Uh, I think they speak like 200 some language, different languages. Uh, and like one in eight individuals has limited English proficiency. So you would think that, you know, some of these patients are experiencing medication errors because they were only given instructions in English. Um, so at the time, in, back in 2009, several of these uh, um, civil rights advocates filed a complaint with the Attorney General's office and New York City, uh, New York City and then later the New York State uh, passed legislation requiring chain pharmacies to provide this service. Um, and then later on, uh, I believe it was like 2015, California also passed uh, similar legislation. And most recently uh, in 2019, uh, Oregon passed legislation. So there's right now just three states that uh, are required to provide these services, but there is a uh, an overlying uh, federal requirement that uh, patients uh, cannot be discriminated based on their national origin. So the Health and Human Services does have regulation to provide services, but they don't specify what those services should be. So I think that's where a lot of this confusion comes into play. And you know, if the, a lot of the chain pharmacies are saying, you know, if they have to go from their regular pill bottle to a larger pill bottle, to accommodate the bigger labels that that can, you know, that's an extra burden on them mm. per bottle. Um, but then if you think about it, that, you know, if a patient goes to the emergency room and gets hospitalized, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a $10,000, you know, cost. Right. right. Uh, and somebody's got to, you know, do it. And it's better to be more preventive um, than to be, you know, than to be reactive. Um, I, I think it's, a, I think it's a different mindset. And I think as payers become more involved in preventive care, I think things are going to turn around, but it's just, you know, it's just going to be a long, healthcare is a long process to yeah. make any significant changes. Um, but, but I think this is an opportunity where technology can, you know, can come into play. So, so, you know, you know, as one of my previous experiences, I, I was a, a, an entrepreneur in the IT space and, one of the things I wrote, a, I wrote a grant in 2005 to address this particular issue is about, you know, providing language access or language labels uh, in multiple languages. And, and my point was to take away the argument that, you know, the large chain is saying, you know, this is too hard or this is too expensive because, you know, if a small company and a grant can do this, you know, why can't the, you know, the Walgreens and the CVSs? Uh, so I think by leading with example, by showing what's possible with certain technology, and you know, I think if we care enough to address this particular population, who often tend to be you know silent, um, I think we can make some some significant inroads. And as these uh, legislations come into play, um, I think they reinforce that the technology is out there. And that the uh, the the financial impact on you know, retail pharmacies do not uh, outweigh the benefit to the patients any longer. 
Yeah, and, and how much uh, can be, I guess, alleviated uh, on the provider side where, you know, you have a doctor or a nurse or somebody who can kind of explain, take the time to explain exactly what the medications are and what, what the patient's supposed to do. So maybe it's not all dependent on the, you know, the pharmacist, yeah. um, but also, you know, I mean, it probably needs to come on both sides of it, but, um, you know, you know, is there some, I, I imagine that there are, you know, doctors who are, who are doing this already, um, you know, with their, with, you know, special patient populations who, you know, need the, need the additional help, but are you seeing that? Yeah, I do. And, and some of the ones that, uh, you know, the health centers, FAQAs, seats, they, they kind of understand it because they're in the middle of that population which have this need. Um, but the challenge that I see from a lot of the prescriber side is that, you know, they assume that the pharmacist is going to do it and the right. pharmacist assume that they're going to do it. So nobody does it. And, you know, if they're being, you know, prescribed either these ex expensive injectable medicines that they have to self-administer, uh, making sure that, you know, they're storing it properly, um, you know, to me makes a lot of sense. And if we can um, introduce some way to automate this by leveraging certain technologies so that the nurse doesn't have to, you know, we can't depend on the nurse to spend five minutes with right. the patient going over all the medicines, but at least can they press a button and it outputs something in the patient's language and has a demonstrations about how to do injections. I think that's, you know, um, we have to work within the professional's workflow and show some benefit to them as well. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers about integrating um, these types of solution is, you know, getting the the staff on board and, and um, getting them involved in wanting to do um, this stuff for the patients. So that that's a big challenge. Yeah, I imagine. Um, you know, and you, you'd mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, non-adherence is costing the industry more than $100 billion. Is that really pushing, you know, the industry to, to make changes, uh, you know, I mean, I, I would th I think that's a pretty good argument that, you know, something needs to be done. Have you, have you seen that, you know, those kind of stats helping in, in that argument? Yeah, I do. And then I don't. Um, yeah. And what I mean by that is that the hundred thousand, a hundred billion dollars is at the healthcare system level. Um, you know, if they prevent some of that, the, the healthcare providers themselves don't see any benefit, right? Mm. Uh, what, what they're seeing is the cost of my time explaining things to the patient. So, you know, do they receive some direct, you know, financial benefit of having the, the patient become more adherent? Um, and, and this is the this is the, one of the problems with our healthcare system is that there's this disconnect between uh, interventions and, and outcomes that they directly see themselves. Um, so, you know, and this is why I think the payers model, um, you know, they could directly see the impact because you know, they're preventing the hospitalizations and, you know, ED visits that they have to pay for. Um, so if there's a way that we could introduce technology or other methods through that route, I think makes uh, more sense. And, and a lot of the integrated uh, healthcare delivery systems um, also um tend to be more innovative in, in the preventive approach as well. Um, 
how much of uh, of the problem stems from patients who are you know getting discharged from the hospital and going home and sort of the disconnect between you know getting the meds in the hospital and then you know uh, sticking to the instructions when they get home how much of how much of that leads to problems yeah and and that is probably the the most important area there where patients make mistakes because uh, this is called transitions of care where they're going from an acute inpatient setting to either ambulatory or long-term care facility and this is where you know you've been on certain medicines the hospital had put you on some you know IV medicines but now when you're getting ready to go home they may be adding new medicines, uh, changing the dose or stopping medicines. And, and that can be really confusing for patients because they go home and there's that old pill bottle still laying there that right. I've always been taking. So is that one of the ones that I've stopped or you know, now I have one with uh, two different doses, which one do I take? So this transitions of care causes a lot of angst and confusion so this gets to that clarity of action that I was telling you about the uh, the health literacy is, you know, having all this information and all these medicines, which ones should I now throw away? Um, and then, you know, which ones do I take when? And this is one of the things, um, there's this concept called teach back where, you know, the nurse would give them all these instructions and the nurse would say something like, now that I've told you this, can you explain to me what you would do once you get home? And then the patient would, in their own words, describe what they would do. Um, so, you know, but that takes some, you know, personal skill to do appropriately without, you know, making the patient feel defensive and also takes some time. So, you know, this this does take the effort on top part of the healthcare professionals to want to do some of these things. And a lot of the healthcare systems have implemented teach back methods. Um, so you know that is one thing that they can do from a uh, from a healthcare organization level is to implement something like that. All right. Well, Dr. Leo, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was really uh, really interesting, and hopefully we can make some headway on this issue going forward. Well, thank you very much, Jay. It's nice to be here with you. And that wraps up episode thirty-one of PSQH the podcast. Thanks again to our partner SAI Global, and thanks for listening. And I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page on psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.